church has this way of pointing out things that are secular. And when they do, I'm pretty sure sinners like me cringe because we feel judged. I feel judged because when I look up the meaning of secular, it is denoting attitudes, activities, or other things that have no religious or spiritual basis. Well, that just sounds bad, doesn't it? I feel convicted, and now I feel like I have a little bit of explaining to do as I call this series Secular Jesus. Hi, everybody. I am Chrissy Baki. I call myself the hippie Christian who cares because I do care, but On the other hand, as you listen to this, just put it into perspective and, you know, who cares what I say, always point to Jesus and what our Lord and Savior says. And so this week I'm talking about secular Jesus. It's actually going to be a series and this week is really all about why I think Jesus is secular Jesus. And really, this is sort of like events, what we do. And, you know, when they define secular as attitudes and activities or other things that have no religious or spiritual basis, I take offense. Um, I think it's crazy that as Christians, we get so separate because it feels separate <laughs> That's not really a word, is it? But I think when you have your own podcast, you can actually make up words. I am not sure if Anchor, the app that I use, because you'll hear a little commercial later about it, but I'm not sure if that's in their rule book, but it should be. So take note, Anchor, because separate is a word I just used, and it's probably not going to be in the dictionary. But my real point is it gets judgy. And I have had, and have, I shouldn't say, it's not like I stopped being their friend, but I have friends that will not watch a secular movie will not read a secular book, will not listen to secular music. And that's okay if that's their thing. Awesome. Just don't judge the fact that I like movies and books and music and activities that might not be specifically deemed as a church event or a biblically sound event. And that makes it sound like not good either. But you know what I'm saying? If you like to play cornhole bags, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, In fact... Activities or other things that have no religious or spiritual basis, 
come on. A, aren't we all created in his image? And B, didn't our Father in heaven create everything? And our Father in heaven, who is Jesus, who is the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they created everything in people in his image and all this world for us, how did we start separating secular from Christian or secular from church or secular from religion? I don't think Jesus was like that. In fact, I know Jesus wasn't like that because I went through all four of the gospels and from birth to death, he doesn't conform to this world. He doesn't do things like the world expected him to do things. So first of all, Jesus comes into this world born of a virgin. And there is no way in the world that more than a handful of people believed that Mary was a virgin. And there are a handful of people because they are noted in the Bible. Um, Joseph, only after an angel tells him, Elizabeth and Zechariah. And I'm hoping Mary's mom and dad believed her. Um, that isn't in the Bible. So seriously, most people wouldn't believe that. So right away from conception to birth, Jesus is not entering our world in a way that church would expect. It would be, definitely be more of a secular entrance. And the first people that even come and acknowledge him, definitely secular kind of folk. They're shepherds, right? The Just the hardworking guys, not real well respected, not super educated. And so again, definitely more secular. He also comes into the world and I don't want to say as a rule breaker, because then it sounds like he's sinful and Jesus Christ is not, but he doesn't conform to what man says. He follows God and therefore is sinless, but he clearly spends time in the temple. So not saying that Jesus didn't go to church. I'm not saying that Jesus was like, oh, 100% non-churchy, <laughs> again, making up words. But it, he he spent time in synagogues and the temples and teaching and preaching and worshiping. And he prays, he prays, he prays all the time. And he doesn't just pray in the synagogue for all to see him. He prays alone and he prays for a long time. And sometimes when he prayed, he sweated blood. He sweat blood. I don't think you say sweated. My goodness, get me a 
grammar lesson. This is getting a bit ridiculous. But seriously, so when he was little, he hung out in the temple to the point Mary and Joseph are ready to go home. They start leaving, assuming that Jesus is tagging along with somebody in their family, only he's in the temple. And so, you know, some would be like, well, he disobeyed Mary and Joseph. No, he didn't. They let him down because they should have known where he was. Not like they didn't know that he was the son of God, right? So also too, there was, um, I found it interesting this time because on the Sabbath, Jesus's disciples are walking through a field and they start picking some wheat um, and eating it, which that's technically work and you're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. And, you know, they call Jesus on it. And the same with they didn't wash their hands appropriately and they called Jesus on it. And what I thought was interesting is in both cases, it doesn't say Jesus participated in that, but he did clearly not come down on his disciples for not following these man-made rules and also not convicting the adulterous woman again sinful but he knew that this was a bit of a trap and very, very unfair in how they were going about it. And so, you know, you can call it rule breaking, but definitely Jesus is sinless. Based on the four gospels, Jesus spends more time outside of church than he does inside of synagogues. And they're synagogues because they were Jewish, but equivalent to church, right? Um, he's in the wilderness when he's tempted by Christ or tempted by Satan. He's on mountaintops often, transfiguration. He preaches one of his most amazing sermons, the Beatitudes, this otherwise known as the Sermon on the Mount, on a mountaintop. Beaches like crazy. He picks up his disciples on the beach. He continues to go down the beach and gets more disciples. He's um they're often on a lake and crossing a lake. And so I'm preaching outdoors all the time. So clearly he is out and about, which is secular, right? You know, when you're in the wilderness and not at church, um, you know, people get all concerned about that. So also too, um, often went to a variety of people's homes to preach and to gather. And sometimes it was intended to be like an intimate event. Um, often it got bombarded by people because they heard that he was in a particular town or at a particular house. And then, you know, 
they swarm the place and next thing you know somebody has to cut a hole in the roof to get their friend healed jesus liked to be with the people and do the things that they were doing jesus liked to eat with people he liked to drink with people and he liked to party and I know that sounds blasphemous, but it is not. He parties with Matthew, the tax collector, to the point where he's at dinner with a tax collector and probably other tax collector people, um, and probably people that were not big in the synagogue. Uh, because the Pharisees say, what's he doing with the tax collector and sinners? Like, that's not where he should be. And Jesus actually says, hey, these are the people I came for. I didn't come to save the people that are already walking in the light. I came to save the sinners. So I need to be with these people. You know, hospitals are filled with sick people. Churches need to be filled with sinners. And so, yeah, party with Matthew. And can you imagine how cool those people felt that Jesus was picking them? Same with um, a man named Simon. And it's possible that Simon was Mary and Martha and Lazarus's dad. Because Mary is called out for anointing Jesus' feet with oil. And that was at perhaps the same party. And we know that he partied with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus because Mary's doing all the or Martha's doing all the work while Mary sits at Jesus' feet and Martha gets really mad because she's like, all this stuff I have to do, all these party preparations, and she just sits there. Lord, tell her to do the right thing. And he's like, Martha, honey, it's okay. She picked the right thing and I'm not going to take it away from her. And so we know of that party. We know of the party that he had with Zacchaeus. He says, hey, come down. I'm coming to your house today. And he goes over and he eats. And, you know, dinner party, big party, um, you know, I don't think it was like 16 candles, you know, house party or anything. But he did like to party and he attended the wedding where he does his first miracle and he turns the water into wine. And it wasn't for communion. It was for people to party on. But it was also a sign and the beginning of showing who he is as the son of God. And so I love the fact that Jesus parties. I love the fact that he eats and he drinks and he spends time with people and he changes them because he meets them where they're at. He feeds them. Let's not forget about the whole feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. And I think I've reminded you all of this before, too, that 
that they only counted men in those days. And so when you throw in kids and women as huge groups, and he cares that they're hungry, and he cares that everybody would have to walk home on an empty belly because there weren't any cars there. And they might've been able to ride like a donkey or something or a camel, but for real, he knew that it was important to feed him. So he fed this whole enormous group. Like that's like festival in the park with Jesus. Right. And so I love that about Jesus. I love that he just hung out with the ordinaries, with the averages, with the not the best of the best, and not always the worst of the worst, but from the best to the worst and everything in between. And I love that it was a ton of the everything in between. Jesus knew his mission. He knew that he came to pay the price for our sin, and that price was death. And so he knew what he was doing, but it wasn't specifically about just getting here and doing it. It was who he was doing this for. It was for you and for me and for the people that he interacted with while he was on earth. People matter. All people mattered to Jesus and still matter to him. Before we get into specifics, and I got specifics for you, um, listen to my commercial because I love using the Anchor Podcast app. Jesus hung out with poor people, rich people, middle class people, He hung out with a variety of different cultures and races and religions. He hung out with sinners and synagogue goers and rabbis and Pharisees. He hung out with sick people and people with disabilities He hung out with men and women, scholars and uneducated folks, and he changed lives. I like that there is story after story after story about women. And I say this because it's probably one of my top frustrations with the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and some other congregations as well, some other denominations as well. I shouldn't say congregations, but some other denominations as well that don't allow women to preach the gospel, don't allow women to read the gospel. And that drives me crazy because Jesus spoke to women in a day and age where that was really unheard of. He touched women, again, unheard of. He gave them direction to tell others about what they had heard 
and seen, including the first Easter sermon given to Mary Magdalene to tell others that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is risen. And the response probably should have been, he is risen indeed, but instead they didn't believe her. And so I love the story of the Samaritan woman. She's not only a different race and different religion. She's a woman. She's scandalous. And Jesus knows all about her. But he pours out love and grace and mercy all over her. And she shares that. And it changes her life. I love the story about the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. And so, first of all, blood, not a good thing. Then you throw in the whole feminine blood thing. Gross. People are grossed out in the 21st century. Can you imagine what they were thinking back then? And it was very Leviticus, like you're unclean. But Jesus allows her to touch the hem of his coat, coat, his robe, whatever, and feels the power come out of him and says, who touched me? Of course, the disciples are like, you're an idiot. There's thousands of people around here. And I'm sure you're asking who touched you. But he knew. And she says, Jesus is the only way. Like I knew if I just touched your hem, I would be healed. And he says, your faith has made you well. He acknowledges that her faith in Jesus, that she recognized Jesus as God, Jesus as a healer, and attributes her healing to her faith. I love the story of the adulterous woman because there she is, guilty and probably naked and scared and horrified that not only is her poor choice of lifestyle smacking her right in the face right now, but she's probably on the verge of death. And she's horrified and embarrassed and naked and used. And Jesus defends her. I don't know what he wrote in the sand, but whatever it was, all those men dropped their stones and walked away. And he says, does no one condemn you? And she says, no one. And he says, nor do I go and sin no more. He doesn't say it's okay that you sinned. He just looked at her and he's like, I love you so much. Don't do this. You're worth so much more than this. Don't sin like this because you are loved. I love the story of Mary and Martha and how he treats both of them with such compassion. I love the fact that Jesus pays attention to children. The disciples are like, get these kids out of here. And Jesus is like, hold the phone. Like these little babies have it all right. They love me because I'm me. Like they are so unconditional. Like everybody should be like kids. He loved homeless beggars. He heals them by the side of the road. He loved 
the sick people, lepers that were Samaritan. One of them was a Samaritan. The Samaritan is the one who comes back and says, thank you. And is it because that their life is so transformed? Is it because these other Jewish people were expecting something so different, expecting not a secular Jesus? I love that he loved these sinners and these tax collectors and that he worked hard to meet them where they were at so that they would meet Jesus where he was at in recognizing that their sin was wrong and that they should repent and turn away and follow him. I love that there are Pharisees and centurions that came to Jesus, um, Nicodemus, and he comes at night because he's afraid. He's afraid that the other Pharisees are going to bully him. He's afraid he might lose his job, but he's interested and he would then help bury Jesus and take care of Jesus's dead body. I love that he helped fix people's disabilities, whether it was their mental illness, whether it was their brokenness in, in their bodies. He was there and his touch saves them. I love that he did things that servants do washing the disciples' feet. Like, that wasn't part of the Passover. There was no feet washing at the Passover. And if there was, a servant did it, and they it wasn't, like, noted as part of the Passover. But here Jesus is washing their feet, serving them to show that we live in a world where we have to serve people, where we have to take care of people and their filthiness, their dirtiness, their sinfulness, their secular behavior. And so I love the diversity that he puts before us and that he shows us that it is for all that his love, grace, mercy is because Yes, his mission was to die on the cross to save us from our sins. But it, it, it was for us. And so he comes to get to know us. And he still does. He comes in our presence in the form of the Holy Spirit. And he offers himself in a wide variety of ways. And he speaks to us through his word and his sacrament and through pastors and prayer and all of the churchy things. But he also speaks to us in other humans and billboard signs and checks in the mail and music and sporting events and hobbies and even our workplace, you might not work at a church. I don't. And so it's amazing where Jesus meets us. He meets us 
in the secular world. Because for Jesus, it is all one place. He meets us where we are at. And if it is out in nature, if it is at a party, if it is at the library or at work or at a football game, he meets us there. It becomes personal and intimate when he meets us in prayer, when he meets us in worship, when he meets us in his word, when he meets us when we come to him. And for many of us, that's when we go to church. And when you are part of a community that shares that faith with you, it's fun being part of a church. It's family. And so as I talk about secular Chrissy and secular Jesus, I don't ever mean to negate church, but it's important to find a church that recognizes that Jesus came for all, came to save us all from our sin. And we only need to accept that. It isn't anything that we do. It is what Jesus does for us. And so attitudes and activities or other things that have no religious or spiritual basis, everything Jesus did had spiritual basis. Everywhere he went, every person he talked to, everything he did, whether it was in the synagogue or out, he was in God's world and he knew that whether he was in the house of God or in the world of God, that it was all God's. And so it is one created in his image, all of us, whether we are ordained or not. And so I thought it was the way to really end this is by talking about at one given point in time, Jesus is referring to John the Baptist and saying that there really is no human like him and will never be another human like him. But he's like, for heaven's sakes, this guy comes doing all the right things. He's fasting. He's doing all the right things. And they say he's crazy. Um, and in Matthew eleven nineteen, it says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say he is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. I kind of like how the message puts it. The message is a version of the Bible that was translated into real modern English by Eugene Peterson. 
there are some that don't hold it in very high esteem um, and perhaps would even call it secular. But what I like is it puts it into words that make sense for us. And so this Matthew eleven nineteen that says, um, that spoke about um, John the Baptist fasting and Jesus eating and drinking and how, you know, they call John crazy and they call Jesus a drunk. And, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. So you're like, what does that actually mean? Well, the message puts it pretty bluntly. John came fasting and they called him crazy. I came feasting and they called me a boozer, a friend of the misfits. Opinion polls don't count much, do they? The proof of the pudding is in the eating. And I think secular Jesus is pretty sweet. And no doubt he wants to sit down and eat and drink with us so that we will accept him as our savior and will feast with him in eternity. Come back next week. We're going to talk about secular music. (gasps) 